Welcome back to the Major Journey Podcast. Today's guest is the CEO of Rocky Mountain Reagents. In addition to her career at Rocky Mountain Reagents, she has spent the last decade working with a variety of organizations. In 2020, she co-founded the Canna Consortium with a few strategic partners, focusing on established ancillary cannabis equipment manufacturers. She's also the past chairman of the board of directors of the West Metro Foundation, the West Metro Chamber, and the Jefferson County Economic Corporation. And it doesn't stop there. She is also the chairman of the Colorado Democratic Party's Congressional District 7, treasurer of the National Cannabis Industry Association, and director to the Jefferson Symphony, and was a member of Governor Paulus's Colorado Hemp Advancement Management Plan Program, the Manufacturing Committee with NCIA, and the National Cannabis Laboratory Council. This is someone who never seems to slow down. I don't know how she sleeps, but without further ado, Liz Geiselman, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yes, it does sound like that my life balance is a little off right now. So um, might need to start to say no more. But thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Very cool. Thank you for taking the time out. I really appreciate it. So Liz, just getting getting right into it. How did you first kind of get your start in cannabis and and jump into the industry to begin with? Well, you know, I think we were lucky that we were in Colorado, you know, t- right time, right place. Um, I've been with Rocky Mountain Regions for 25 years. Uh, we specialize in, in high-grade chemistry. So we have always been a part of the laboratory market. So we had already had experiences with biopharma, food, um, nutraceuticals, distillers, breweries. So we kind of knew how people should be doing things. And so when cannabis came to Colorado, there were, you know, it was a very, we'll just say novel market, <laughs> you know, when you see gummy, gummy bears coming from Costco, they're sprayed, you know, uh, it was, a, it was definitely an immature market. And so helping to train and teach people how to bring their products up to the specifications and, and the things that people were going to look at from a consumer um, product, we kind of were a natural fit in that space. That's very cool. And I really want to touch on the Canna Consortium because I feel like so many people love the organization, love the group that you've put together. So tell us a little bit about that and kind of what piqued your interest to actually forming the Canna Consortium. So, yeah, so 15 years ago, I've been with my company for 25 years, 15 years ago, we legalized medical, and then 10 years ago, we legalized recreational. Um, In that time, we had gone, our company had gone to many, many shows, and along the way, we found a lot of great partners. We called ourselves in the beginning the Canna Carnies, because it felt like we were on a carnival mission all the time. Um, But really, I've I've met a lot of, you know, businesses in the ancillary market that were here for the right reasons. They were doing the same thing we were doing, educating advocating and making sure that it was good and what we also found was a was a lot of people out there doing some snaky stuff who could make a beautiful website and a beautiful you know logo but they weren't here for the right reasons and they were just kind of chasing the green wave so I had a lot of clients I have over 700 cannabis clients now um, but there were a lot of clients that were buying machinery in the next week they were gone, you know, the companies were gone. So we decided to, to, to come together as a group, as the Canna Consortium. So we are 16 ancillary partners that work between plant and product on the concentrated market to, to allow for the, our clients to have a full breadth of products available to them that are ethical, that are educating, that are advocating in the same way that they are, that are talking about regulations. Um, and they're going to be around 
you know, when you need to have that machine serviced. Um, so that's what how we all started was, you know, let's cut through the noise, let's cut through the static and make sure that we're supporting small and um, the, the businesses that have been here from the beginning. And it has grown and grown and grown. And now I think last year we had a fantastic Vegas party where we had over 350 people only focused on the cannabis um, concentrate market. And it was the only party of its of its kind, bringing true ancillary partners with the true, you know, heads of these organizations to make sure that they could future proof and, and mitigate the risk in the industry. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think it's something that's so needed because I couldn't tell you the countless horror stories I've heard. And I'm sure, I mean, you're in it every single day, so I'm sure you hear it all the time, but people come in and out of this space, they'll take the money, they'll grab, they'll go and poof, it's like they're nowhere to be found the next day or the next week. So I think what you guys are doing is is phenomenal. For somebody who is maybe listening to this and they're kind of in the stages of trying to pick different vendors, different partners, um, maybe not even necessarily somebody to source equipment from or things like that, but just partners in general, partners, vendors, people like that. Do you have any advice for, for folks to kind of be aware for some of the red flags that they should pick up on when trying to vet certain partners and kind of build their business and, and execute on what their their dreams and visions are and their goals with the business? Well, absolutely. I think if you're picking ancillary partners, you definitely need to make sure that you get testimonials from other customers mm-hmm. um, because we've seen a lot of equipment go out there and they, you know, salesmen will do sales many things. And especially 17, 18 and 19, we saw like, you didn't really have to be a salesman. Anybody would buy your stuff. They were running through the doors buying stuff. So now really uh, vetting your equipment manufacturers to make sure that it's actually going to perform in the way and getting those customer testimonials and making sure they have enough capital funding to to fund their companies for a long time. I'm very fortunate because my company was founded in 1951. So we didn't pop into cannabis. Cannabis kind of popped into us. Um, so, But we have enough capital funding that we're going to be here for the longevity, no matter where the market goes from up or down. We're not solely dependent on it. We've got six other industries we support. A lot of the Canna Consortium members are in kind of that same situation. They come from long established 150, 70 year old companies that have decided to invest in this market as a new and emerging market and bring their expertise to the table, but they're not going to just disappear. Um, One of my clients, this was several years ago, he bought a $1.2 million CO2 machine. The company went out of business within a month. And now it has basically been a paperweight and they went back to ethanol extraction because wow. they hadn't, they, they, there was no recourse. There was nothing to go against or nobody to file anything against. So they just were out. And we, we've seen that time and time again, over-promising uh, output and performance. Um, those have been things. So the the nice thing, the, the one thing about I can say about Canna Consortium is we are all here voluntary. There's no mm-hmm. referral fees between our companies. We just work together so that we give the end user a value add proposition from, from any of our companies to say, hey, here's some other people that are doing it right. Buy from us, don't buy from us. But with our 50 plus individuals that work at these companies, you have hundreds of years of experience now in cannabis um, technology and education. So it's a good place to lean into. And if we don't know the answer, we can certainly find it, but at least it gives you an opportunity to have that conversation. Being, I feel like I've been in this company for 25 years and I feel like every five years, it feels like another startup. Um, Like, I feel like I've never gotten out of startup culture because we're constantly pivoting and doing new stuff. Um, and I think that's that's part of that conversation, right? Like if somebody's just here because they want to sell as much as they can, oh, the market's dying now, we're out. That's not who you want to be with. 
Yeah, that's a great point, actually. And I was I was just talking to uh, Lance Lambert, who I don't know if you're if you're uh, familiar with, but he's over at Grove Bags, and we were just talking oh, about yeah. the need to constantly pivot. And I asked him a question. I was like, you know, what's one thing that cannabis or being in the cannabis industry has taught you? And he was like, just constantly having to adapt, constantly having to pivot. And to your point, it's it's not for the weak hearted, right? Things regulations change all the time, and so if you're going to be working with a company or trying to find somebody to help support on something that you may be weak on, you got to make sure that they themselves have been stress tested over the the years and years of a roller coaster ride that has just been thrown at them. And if they're able to to hang out and and make it and you know still be standing, it's it's pretty telling. And if they can do so in a successful way, then I think that says a lot to to the company and the individual leading that team and leading that organization. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you on the adaptability and the pivoting there. Um, Liz, you've mentioned, I mean, you and the entire Canada Consortium have, like you said, like hundreds of years of experience combined mm-hmm. in this space. What's been sort of like a common denominator that you found across just by connecting and meeting with so many successful leaders in this space? Um, like a common denominator that's just kind of been very telling as to whether or not a company will succeed with longevity over the long term. Well, I think it really comes down to having that business plan and the business strategy. Um, you know, the, the 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 loveliest part of this business is that it is very innocent. You know, in, in mm. this new and emerging market, there's a lot of people that are like, I can grow a fantastic, you know, plant or this strain. But then when it comes to like managing employees and, you know, healthcare benefits and stuff. So, so having the right team in place, I recognize very strongly that I am kind of an ethereal being and I kind of run at 30,000 feet or 10,000 feet all the time. But my COO, who I've worked with for 22 years is a chemical engineer. So he has boots on the ground and about 10,000 feet. So he's able to keep me kind of tethered to the ground and in being able to do like physical possible things. Cause sometimes I'm like, let's do this. And he's like, that's not possible, Liz. I'm like, okay, well, all right, whatever, we'll go on, you know? Um, So I think having the right leadership team in place has been crucial in the people that I've seen being successful and understanding as a leader of any organization or in your community, understanding where your weaknesses are. I am not the best person when it comes to the technical side of the analytics. That's why I have a chemical engineer as my partner. Um, but he is not a big visionary and, and it's hard for him to see 10 years out where that's kind of the place I live, right? So mm. it really has been about getting the right team and making sure that anybody in leadership understands where their weaknesses are and are backfilling that with somebody who has that strength. That's awesome. That's great advice right there. And Liz, I also wanted to ask um, for you, I mean, being in this industry and being, you know, wearing so many different hats and being in so many different situations, what's one thing that the cannabis industry has has taught you uh, that you feel maybe you wouldn't have been able to pick up on or experience if you were working in a more traditional industry? Well, it- I just love this market because I really feel like doing pharmaceutical sales and things for years before this, there was always kind of this cutthroat sales strategy about who was doing what and what was doing who. I love that this market is very innovative and fresh and innocent to some degrees, but also it feel the, the, the overall vibe and excitement 
because it does feel like there's a shift, especially as we go state to state. There's a, there's constant shifting of innovation and movement and new products. Now we're seeing like the cannabis beverage industry really starting to take off, right? I mean, that 15 years ago, it was all flour. Then it was concentrate, which I didn't even know that was a thing until it came. And that, then it's the dabble products. Now it's, you know, the gummies and the suckers and all of that. And, and then seeing this cannabis beverage market start to flourish and, and have really delicious tasting beverages um, is really, um, it's fun to watch that innovation and seeing traditional market people coming in and saying, yeah, we want to be a part of this market too. Um, you know, I think that keeps me fresh. I can be in my office, uh, you know, for 14 hours a day, but I need to get on the road at least once a month just to get kind of that same vibe and that energy because it all feeds off each other. The other part I love about this industry is we are all two to two degrees separated from each other. It doesn't matter if you're a payment processor or a chemical company or a dispensary owner. We all know somebody who can help each one of us. And so leaning into that mentorship and leaning into the advice and asking people their stories, it's amazing how much information that you can give and get in that situation, which has never been a part of any industry I've ever been a part of. Yeah. Full stop right there. I could totally agree with you on that right there. Um, and I know you're actually at MJ Unpacked right now. So any, you know, what's your what's your kind of sentiment on on the show so far? How are things going? Oh, I think it's a fantastic show. It's really fun to see. I mean, we didn't spend, I've been on West Coast and, you know, Colorado for so long. So East Coast is a totally different vibe. New York just in itself. But to see these new brands and the maturity, even in new brands coming into the Northeast and, and taking the education that they saw from like, you know, uh, California and Colorado, the branding has been way uplifted. The products that they're offering are a completely different level than what we saw in the early days. It's a, it's just really exciting. And people are very excited about the Northeast and what's going on there. But I think overall with the pandemic, uh, this is my fourth or fifth cannabis show this year, which seems unheard of basically from where we came from for the last two years. But um, people want to get together. They're excited about seeing each other again. Sometimes it feels like old home week. I, I was joking with somebody today, like, why is 40% of the conference attendees from Colorado? Maybe sometime we should just have a Colorado event. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then the people in Colorado, we never see each other in Colorado. You know, we see each other in Miami or New York. It's like, what are we doing? Um, but I've been to three shows recently and they've seen 20 to 30% increase in attendees and quality attendees. These are not like end user consumers. These are dispensary owners, people with money. We're, we're seeing a lot of excitement and innovation and a, a faster, mature rate in some of the brands that we've seen before. And that's really exciting. That's really cool. And I, I think that's really telling too, to a lot of the companies and a lot of the, the leaders that are kind of, you know, spearheading the space and the developments and how do we get some of these brands across state lines and nationwide. So it's going to be really cool to see how this pans out and how we talk about this two, three, four years from now, because you and I both know this industry moves so fast. So in another space, we might be saying, yeah, what is it going to look like in 10 or 15? But I think in two or three years, it could be, you know, almost non-recognizable. So I think it'll be cool to see what, what that all turns into. Well, it's almost unrecognizable from when I started 15 years ago, you know, I, I kind of, uh, I like to liken it to the dot-com kind of rise of the 90s. Like, I don't even think we've hit the Netscape or the AOL version of what marijuana can be. We mm. haven't even hit, you know, I, I think that's where we are now. I We haven't hit the Googles, the Amazon, like we haven't hit where 
what the internet is actually going to be. It's like getting your first smartphone that was a flip phone that you could do, you know, the texting on the dot, like we're not even, we're not even to the smartphone where you can take a picture yet in this industry. And so seeing that level of innovation and and movement, and it happens so fast, much like the tech industry, six months to another, there's products in the market you never knew, even knew existed, you know, and technologies that are able to tell us a lot more about, um, you know, the different contaminants or pesticides or the things that are really bringing public safety. And, and that's another thing about Canada Consortium, I will say, is we work very, very hard to tell, to, to educate consumers that consumers assume if it's on a shelf, it's safe. Mm-hmm. And, and there are a lot of places in this country where you go to a gas station and the product that's on the shelf is not safe. And so it, it, it is our biggest threat in industry right now. Yeah. And I think you get, you guys are doing a lot of good, good things, not just for businesses and, and business leaders and owners, but also for the end consumer as well. Cause to your point, if we can stop it from the top, from trickling down, it'll save so many people, so much headache and so much just negative experience. And I feel like that's still what's kind of contributing to some of this negative stigma that just keeps lingering around. Well, and I think we, I think we jumped too heavy into the rec market and it being brands for rappers or brands for, you know, certain I came into this industry because it's medical. You know, mm-hmm. my mom has Parkinson's. You know, I've got friends who have, have had childhood epilepsy. This is medicine, PTSD, some of the work they're doing in, um, you know, at some of the universities with CBD and THC on post-traumatic in- injuries. This is very important and it kind of gets overshadowed because of the big personalities in the room. And unfortunately, middle America, um, you know, the Bible Belt doesn't look at that and say, that's what I'm looking for. We need mm-hmm. to push back and say the medical is why we started this. The wreck is fun, but the medicine is important too. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you right there. Um, Liz, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know you're at MJ Unpacked, so I want to let you get back out onto the show floor. Uh, anything that we should be on the lookout, either from uh, Rocky Mountain Reagents, Canna Consortium, any other your partners that you're working with, uh, we should keep an eye out for for the rest of 2023? Well, um, NCIA, I'm on the board of directors there. We're having lobby days in May. Um, it sounds very intimidating to go to Congress and walk around and talk to congressmen, but um, you will have guides. So I strongly encourage the in- legislators need to hear from industry and industry needs to have access to legislators. It's a very important event for that. And it's only once a year. But aside from that, we're just going to continue to be pushing in these new markets and helping them to establish themselves with clean, good chemistry moving into to it that they can future proof their businesses and when i talk to investors it's about risk mitigation for them to utilize people in our network so that they're mitigating their risk for their investment and they're mitigating the risk for um potential you know uh, public health concerns so those are the things we'll be continuing to do yeah and it's it's what the community and the industry needs so kudos on all the great work liz thanks again for joining us today and uh enjoy the rest of the show and i'm sure we'll talk to you soon all right thank you so much mike bye liz that'll do it for this week's episode of the major journey podcast we will catch you all next time thanks for listening to today's show to check out more great cannabis podcasts go to podconnects.com here's a preview of one of our other shows hi i'm gary and i invite you to discover the cannabis podcast a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode. 
through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.